0: desire to find out what we were created to do. We often struggle to find significance while also seeking to be known and heard and loved. We want things to be better than they are, not just for ourselves, but for everyone. And we see this gap between what we think should be and how the world actually is. All along, we just know that there must be something more, something better. What if there is more? What if we can know God? What if we can experience freedom? What if we can discover purpose? What if we truly make a difference in this world? What's going on 1130, how you guys doing today? You guys doing well? Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're with us today in the middle of a holiday weekend and a rainy day. You guys made it here to church, and man, we're so glad that you're with us. We've been in a series over the last couple weeks called Four Cups, and we've been talking about the promises of God. And, and I think this is an important thing for us in the season we're in as a church and as a community and as a people that, that we really understand that God has got some incredible promises for our life. A lot of times we're, we're talking about how we can overcome things or break addictions, but there. There are some promises that I believe that if we can grab hold of, if we can understand and if we can begin to walk them out, we will see some incredible things that God wants to do in our lives. And over the last couple of weeks, we've kind of defined what a promise is. We said a promise is an offer with a guaranteed result. And what God does is he makes an offer to us. He says, hey, here's what your life could and should be. And if you'll take some steps, I guarantee this to happen in your life. Like If you'll not only take my promise, but the premise, in other words, the things that you need to do in order to see that happen in your life. I will do some great and mighty things inside of you. And we have been studying some of the promises of God over the last couple of weeks and and I think one of the reasons we struggle with the promises of God and, and really seeing them come to fruition in our lives is that we live in a fallen and broken world. We live around people that have made promises that have broken those promises. We live around organizations that have made promises that have broken promises. We live around with a government that has made promises that has broke promises. And and because of that, we automatically assume that, that people and government and, and, and God are synonymous. Like he's gonna act like they're gonna act, but we've seen in Numbers chapter 3, 23, verse 19, it says, God is not a man so he doesn't lie. He's not human, so he doesn't change his mind. People lie, and people change their mind. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he has made some promises. And the Bible actually says that his promises are yes and amen. So if he's spoken something, he says yes, that is for you, that is for your life. And the, the word amen means so be it, so, so be it in your life. And so what that should do for all of us is the promises of God should start causing some dreams to come up inside of our lives. Like we should begin to dream again and hope again and come alive again because what God's promises should be doing is it should be leading us and guiding us towards the fulfilling life that he has for every single one of us. And God has got an incredible life For you, he's got an incredible life for me that will lead to fulfillment. And that is God's ultimate goal is that you would live a life that is fulfilled and filling to you. And so we've been studying what the Bible calls the four I wills of God. And there are four core promises uh, that he gave to the children of Israel on their way out of Egypt as they were getting rid of slavery as they're breaking free from the Egyptian rule and they are moving towards the promised land God's promise for their life he actually made four promises to them that the Jewish people still celebrate today over over Passover uh, season in fact the synagogue that's right behind us will be doing that during the Passover season they'll actually be reading these four core promises and for every time they read one of these promises what they'll do is they'll They'll pour themselves four cups of wine, and they'll drink a cup of wine, hence the name Four Cups. These are four cups that we can drink in our lives. are four promises that God has for us, for every single one of us. And it, they actually come out of Exodus chapter 6, starting in verse 6. It says this, Therefore say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. He says, I will free you from your oppression. That's promise number one. That is the cup of sanctification. It's a cup of salvation. God wants all of us to be free from our sin nature that is natural to us. He says, hey, I've sent a savior to eradicate that sin out of your life so that you can have eternity in heaven. And I've promised this cup of sanctification, this cup of salvation for every single one of you. He says, I will rescue you from your slavery. In other words, this is the cup of deliverance that God says, not only have I saved you, for eternity, but while you're here on earth, I want you no longer to be slaves to your past. I want you to be free in everything. And so I want to bring freedom to your life. Then he says, I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. This is the cup of redemption. This is the cup we talked about last week, and it's it's all about that God has repurchased you with a price of Jesus on the cross. So that you could be repurposed, so you could have a purpose in life. God's got something intentional for every single one of us. And then he says, This is the fourth promise we're gonna talk about today. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you'll know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. And so today we're gonna be talking about this last cup and it is the cup of praise or the cup of fulfillment. What God wants to do is he wants to bring fulfillment in your life, that's his ultimate goal, that's his plan, that's his ambition for you. In fact, Jesus said it this way in the New Testament, in John chapter 10, verse 10, it says the thief's purpose or the enemy's purpose is to steal, kill and destroy. That's what the enemy is all about, that's his agenda, that's his priority, that's what he wants wants to do in your life and in my life, but Jesus said, my purpose, everybody say, my purpose. My purpose. Jesus's purpose for you is to give you life in all its fullness. Like God's purpose for your life, his ultimate purpose for your life is that you would live in the fullness of every single thing that he has for you. In other words, he wants you to live the life that you have yet to live, the unlived aspect of you that he put within the depths of your soul, that you would discover that, that you would realize it, that you would walk it out and live it out, that you would not just have a dream of writing a song, but you would actually write that song, that you would not just have a dream of having a family, but you would actually go out and live that life of having that family, that you would not just have a dream of finishing college or starting that career, but that career would actually come to fruition in your life, that you would live life in all of its fullness, that you would drink from every cup that he has for you in life, that you would experience salvation, that you would experience freedom on this earth, that you would live with purpose and intentionality so you could be full in your life. And what I've discovered about God is that, is that God wants us to really learn that, live that, and walk it out to pursue those things in life. In fact, uh, on my phone is a thing that I call my bucket list. And it's things that I want to do before I kick the bucket and die one day. There's some goals, or some dreams, some, some aspirations. Anybody else have a bucket list that they keep? Or like something? I want to encourage you all to get a bucket list if you don't have one. Um, and, and my bucket list it has four categories in it that I'm constantly putting things in. One of those categories is like men ministry goals that I have, things I want to see God do in our church and and through ministry and different aspects, how to reach, how many people, like I have goals of I want to lead this many people personally to Christ in life. I I have some really big, hairy, audacious goals in life when it comes to that. Then I have some family goals uh, for Shayla and I, places we want to visit, things we want to do, how I want God to transform her, and, and you know, just all kinds of interesting things. Right, your goals got to have some impossibilities in them, right? For with with, with a God who is, makes all things possible, and uh, uh, then I, I've got some, you know, just some like things that I'll. Like crazy stupid things like jumping out of airplanes, riding bulls, uh, you know, I've, I've gone shark diving with great white sharks. Like anything that you can die in, like that's probably on my list of the just experiences I want to have. And so if you've got a connection to bull riding, let me know after service. It's one of the big ones right now. I just want to do it. I want to do the eight-second thing. And then I've got some financial goals in life, some things that I want to accomplish for us and our family, uh, uh, amounts of money I want to give away in my lifetime, all kinds of things. And the reason I have all those things is because if I don't have a target, I'll never accomplish anything in life. And unfortunately, so many of us in life have no target. And so we're shooting arrows, hoping that we'll have fulfillment and significance in life, shooting an arrow. And then when it hits, we just go and draw a bullseye around it. And we wonder why, like we don't have the thing that we're looking for in life. We wonder why we're not fulfilled in the life that we're living and chasing. And I've figured that so few people ever truly discover what God created them to do on this earth. And the few that do discover that, very few of them actually walk those steps out. And so what we end up with is a whole bunch of people in life that are unfulfilled. And I think that there's a reason people are unfulfilled. I think there's actually a couple reasons a lot of people are walking unfulfilled in life. One of those is is we let the past cripple us. For so many of us, our past is still impacting our present. In fact, I say this all the time at our church. Your past is not your past if it's still impacting your present. That is your present. You have not moved beyond that thing. And so therefore, what we need to do is we need to settle yesterday so we can live fully today and walk into our future tomorrow. But if we never settle our yesterdays, we're never going we're gonna, to we're gonna walk around with things hindering us and holding us back from the life that God wants us to live and walk out. That's why we talked about cup number two, that cup of deliverance, that God wants to free us from the things that are holding us captive in life so we can move forward. And we do that through community. We do that through people. We, but teacher, I thought this is about my relationship with God. Yes, it is, because God forgives you. But the Bible says that our healing comes. It says, confess your sins to God for forgiveness. Confess your sins to one another for healing. See, God wants to heal you, but he's going to do it through the context of people. But a lot of us, we're walking around, and we're handcuffed, and we're chained. And it's holding us back from experiencing fulfillment in life. For others of us, it has nothing to do with our past. For some of us, we've let our culture define us. We have allowed culture to set who we are, why we do what we do, and, 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 and here's the problem. Because so few of us have discovered that calling, so many of us are going around life, and what ends up happening is we are settling for a substitute rather than the real thing. We're settling for the fake rather than the authentic thing that God wants for our life. Let me explain it like this. Has anybody ever been to New York City? Anybody been to New York City? New York City? Anybody been to Chinatown in New York City? A couple of you? Yeah, you you've all picked up this thing called a fake purse in Chinatown, right? You want you want Louis, but you can't afford Louis, so you go to Chinatown, right? And you pick up the buoy, Vuitton. it looks kind of feels like the real thing but it's not and here's what the world does it says man if you just get that car you'll be significant if you just live in that neighborhood you'll be fulfilled if you just have this much money in the bank man all your dreams will come true and what it's doing is it's selling you a counterfeit right. and saying, hey, if you figure these things out, it's going to define you and make you. When the reality is, is the thing that fulfills us and defines us is who God says we are. It's what we just sang about. I am who you say I am, but so, long, so many of us have been looking to what everything else says we are and what we need to be and who we need to become. In fact, I, I would submit to you today that, the thing that's holding you away, keeping you from fulfillment is a word called good. Because we settle for good when God has called us to great. So some of us, it's a culture thing, but for a lot of us, honestly, it's, we try to do it all alone. We think that we are an island unto ourselves. And God, how he designed you was to do life with other people. In fact, all you got to do is go back to the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 2 and 3. I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but Adam is in perfect relationship with God. He's walking and talking with God in the cool of the day. He's in paradise. He's in the Garden of Eden where everything is provided for him and, and everything is set to the perfect scenario in life. And God looks at that situation, and you would think God would be like, this is it. He's arrived. He's got it all. And God goes, man, it's not good for man to be alone. But TJ, he's like, all I need is God. Well, it wasn't good enough for Adam, so why is it good enough for you now? And God was in perfect relationship with Adam. Adam. He said, we all need a helpmate. We all need people in our lives if we're going to be ultimately fulfilled in life. Like, we're not meant to do this. We're not meant to do the Lone Ranger thing. In fact, the Bible is constantly describing the church, this this group of people, as it's considered the family of God. It's called the fellowship of believers. It's called the body of Christ with many parts. It's called the flock of God. Why? Because God designed us to live in community. And how we experience fulfillment, how we drink from this cup, is always going to be in the context of community. And so I I want to talk to us about this verse in Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. It says, I want to go back to this promise. He says, I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. The Jewish people actually call this the halal. That's what it's called, and it's this last cup, and it means to celebrate. That's why it's called the cup of praise or the cup of celebration. Hardly it's called that because they're on their fourth cup of wine, and how many of y'all know it's become a party up in there? Four cubs, you're you're gonna, you're gonna be a little bit tipsy a little bit happy you know and, and so and so it, it means to celebrate and so this is the halal and so they're celebrating it's actually the that word halal is the beginning of hallelujah and hallelujah is all about a reflection of your soul it, it's a reflection of how you're living inside. See, so many of us think fulfillment comes from exterior things. The Bible kind of flips the script on you and says, hey, you want to be fulfilled? It starts on the inside and works its way out, not the outside of them works its way in. Ultimate fulfillment comes from when you understand that there is something that is transforming you on the inside that's causing you to live large in here, and that just eventually permeates to everything out here. And what's interesting is how God worded this. He says, I will claim you as my own people. Notice God doesn't tell you that you're going to be a fulfilled person. He says you're going to be a fulfilled people. See, see, how we read things is very, very important for us to understand Because we think, well, I'm just going to be fulfilled No, 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 what God is saying is to say Fulfillment comes in the context of community Fulfillment comes in the context of, of team It's when you understand that It's when we're together That there is a synergistic thing that God has naturally wired within you That it's in together that you start to find fulfillment and meaning and purpose And then he says, and I will be your God In other words, that's when I start to really get involved in your life And do some amazing things in fact, psychology is figuring this out too. There's this thing called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Anybody ever heard of Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs? It's basically this, this psychologist in the, in the early 40s came up with these, these five things. He said, man, if you have these five things in your life, then this is ultimate fulfillment in life. And he said that there are some five basic needs that everybody has. He said that there are physiological needs that's like food, water, shelter. Like these are very, very important things. Air to breathe kind of critical things to your life. Uh, and he said, man, you got to have those things in order to survive. That's kind of the baseline for fulfillment. Then he said that there are some safety needs. You need protection. You need you need uh, 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 security in life. Those are important elements. Then he said that there are some love needs. You have this desire for family. You have this desire for intimacy in life. You have this desire for relationship, and those things have to be met. Then he said that there are some esteem things. It's, it's this whole idea of, of self-esteem and achievement and recognition that everybody is searching for. And then he said, the, the ultimate thing is this self-actualization, like, where you start to start to live in purpose in life. Like, that is the ultimate fulfillment when you start to seek these peak experiences where you hit, like, the mountaintop. That is ultimate fulfillment. And for decades, people believe that. And then psychology has come along in the last 20 years and discovered that, like, man, these were a great base point. But ultimate fulfillment in life actually comes from one last thing. They've just said it's transcendence. In other words, the greatest need in a person's life, the ultimate life lived, is when we begin to look beyond our needs to meet other people's needs. When our life starts to take on a purpose beyond ourselves and caring for ourselves and start caring for other people, that is where ultimate fulfillment comes. So he says, real joy doesn't come from making lots of money. Real joy doesn't come from driving that car. Real joy doesn't come from building that business. Real joy comes from making a difference in people's lives for eternity. It's the ultimate fulfillment in life. It's ultimately living beyond yourself. It's getting beyond you to what is greater than you. And that happens in the context of family and community. And God says, man, I want you to drink from this cup. I want you to experience this cup of praise, this cup of fulfillment in life. And so if we want to do that, how do we practically do that? Number one, it begins with a calling. Like, you got to know why in life. Because when you lose your why, you lose your way. Like, why why do I want to to make a difference in other people? Like, why do I want to do those things? Like, why is that naturally within me? It's because God has called every single one of us to something. In fact, in 2 Timothy 1.9, it says, God saved us and then called us to a holy work. I don't know if you realize this or not, but you and I are both called to a holy work. We're called to a life that is different than everybody else's life. In fact, I believe that for every single one of us, what God put in the depths of your soul, whether you've realized it or not, is this, this desire to do this. Every single one of us, we want to make a difference. There's not a single person in here that, that in the depths of their soul w- could sit back and go, man, I don't want my life to make a difference. Every single one of us, this significant, I want my life to make a difference. It's the thing that inspires us. It's the thing that calls us. I know, I know as, as a parent, my goal was, man, I want to make a difference in my son's life. I know as a husband, I want to make a difference in my wife's life. I know, I know as a pastor, I want to make a difference in people's lives. Like, there's a desire within me personally that I want to make a difference. And I know that within you, God has formed you and designed you with an innate desire to want to make a difference. And so... It begins with a calling. Number two, it stands on a cause. It stands on a cause, and it isn't about climbing mountains or writing best-selling books. It's about doing something that makes an eternal difference. And and making an eternal difference has got to be centered on a cause. And that cause always begins with the one who's caused all this to happen, Jesus Christ. It has got to be about the cause that Jesus is all about. And Jesus was all about, he said, I'm going to build one thing and one thing only. He said, I'm going to build my church. And let me just give you a 411. A church is not a building, it's a people. Jesus said, man, I'm about building one thing. I'm about building people. And so it's about building people and making a difference for people's eternity. That's what a cause is all about. And that's what God is all about. That's why the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, it says, My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news and the wonderful grace of Jesus. You know what your work is? God said to every single one of us, his last words, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. In other words, he said, go make a difference doing something that makes a difference. That was, that's called the Great Commission. Hey, go do something, make a difference doing something that makes a difference in life. Then number three, it spreads from me to we. It's got to spread from me to we. You know what's interesting is, is, is science is figuring out everything that I'm saying is true. See, for so long, science has said, man, it's all about survival of the fittest. It's all about you, yourself, and I. Me, myself, and I. It's all about me, 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 if, me. If you'll survive and you'll achieve and you'll get to the top, you win in life. You're going to have the greatest significance in life. You're going to have ultimate fulfillment in life. They said, man, if you do that, just like hier- Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like you're going to have the ultimate fulfillment in life. The problem is, is Wall Street Journal just came out and said, hey, it's great when you win. The problem is, is that there's actually something that gives you greater fulfillment based on your body's chemistry. In fact, when you get out from beyond yourself and you start serving and meeting other people's needs and making a difference in other people's lives, your body starts producing endorphins in ways that nothing else in your life can produce. And all of a sudden, the happy aspect of your life, the the thing that gives you the pleasure center of your life goes up to exponential levels that we can't explain or understand almost like God designed you that way because he did it's about time for science to catch up isn't it to what God has been saying for thousands and thousands and thousands of years why because it's got to move from me to we, it's got to move from, like, I'm going to do something and make myself great too. Like, man, we can come together and we can do something amazing. I don't know if you've, you've ever played sports and won something. But when you win something by yourself to celebrate by yourself, is kind of a crappy party. <laughs> it's like, I'm awesome. <laughs> Anybody with me? Nobody's with you. But when you're on a team and you win, like you win the Super Bowl, you got six foot eight dudes that are 380 pounds balling their eyes out with a five foot seven white wide receiver. You know what I'm saying? It's like, they're like, oh my God, I love you. And he's the kicker, right? You know? It's like the only time like all of a sudden there's this deep meaning that comes from being together, this teamwork aspect. The Bible says it like this: two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. See when we come together, there is something amazing that happens when you come together to make a difference. In fact, the Bible says it like this, one can put a thousand to flight, two can put, you would think that that would equal 2,000, right? It says you can put 10,000 to flight. It says where two or three gathered there, Jesus said, I am also. Something about when your life begins to move from me to we changes everything. In other words, cut four says, I want to make a difference doing something that makes a difference with people who want to make a difference. It goes from I want to make a difference all by myself doing something that makes a difference to I want to make a difference, doing something that makes a difference with some other people who want to make a difference. That's how revolutions start. That's how transformation begins. That's how things change. And so it got me thinking about our church and the season that we're in and we're in an incredible season as a church. And what God is doing is, is, is mind-blowing to me as the pastor of this church. Like, I'm overwhelmed at all that God has done in the last 12 months. I don't know if you realize this or not, but over the last 12 months, we, we moved into this facility. We grew from a church of 600 people on a good Sunday to a church where we average about 1,865 on a weekend right now. It's pretty incredible. I mean, we're, we're in a holiday weekend right now, and there's some empty seats, but this is not normal. You know, we, we went from being a church with about 90 kids attending to every Sunday. Right now, we're averaging about 315 kids back there in Coastal Kids. That's it. Like, think about that. Coastal Kids is bigger than 95% of churches in America. We've gone from three services to six services happening over every single weekend, which is insane. We're the seventh fastest growing church in America this past year. And if they were to pull that study right now, we'd be right back in the top ten again. Because we've grown exponentially since they did that study. And here's what we know is as amazing as what God is doing here is, is that God has got something bigger still on the horizon. And there are some dilemmas that we're facing as a church because if we continue at a 25% of rate of the growth that we have been having, by February of 2020, which if you can count, that's three months, our services will be all full again, which is amazing. Thank you for inviting your friends, your family, your coworkers. Thank you for wanting to make it hard for people to go to hell by making it easy for them to go to church so they can experience, know, and follow Jesus. That's what it's all about for us. That's what it's always been. That's what we're passionate about. But that also sets us up for a dilemma because we are at six services, and 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 so, like... It got me thinking, like, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do come February? What are we gonna do? How are we gonna start to prepare for what God wants to do in the future? Like, we gotta start thinking about those things and what that's gonna look like. And so, as I've been praying, I'm thinking about options that we can do as a church. And what are we gonna do when we hit this this barrier that's that's right around the horizon?